Well, good morning, church. I want to say as I start and as I try to start every week by telling you that I love you. I miss you. I miss, I miss this room being filled with people. I miss seeing your faces. I miss giving you hugs. I miss shaking your hand. Uh, but I have been so incredibly thankful and blessed by the way that you as a church family have continued to show up over the last couple of weeks. Not only showing up as we do these live broadcasts and, and continuing to participate in the worship together, but you've shown up in other ways as well. You've shown up in helping and serving each other. And I have seen so much love and compassion from this church family over the last couple of weeks. And I just want you to know how very much I appreciate it and how very much I love you. It, it really gives me chills when I think about how relevant the text that we're going to look at this morning, how relevant it is to our current situation. You know, we may feel like by looking around our world today and thinking about everything that's going on with the coronavirus and with uh, the, the having to quarantine ourselves and be separate from each other, uh, that we're in uncharted territory. But this really isn't as far as the world's concerned, this really isn't uncharted territory. This isn't the first time, unfortunately, this is not the first time that a sickness has swept through the world and brought everything to a standstill. And thankfully, this isn't the worst time that this has happened. In fact, the text that we're going to look at this morning is about a disease, a plague, a pestilence that swept through Israel and actually killed 70,000 people in three days. So you see why I say that our text is incredibly relevant uh, for what we're talking about this morning. And it starts in 2 Samuel chapter 24, where David is moved or incited to take a census and to number the people of Israel. It's interesting that 1 Chronicles says that David took this census and that he was incited to do so by Satan. And then 2 Samuel says that it was the Lord that incited David to take this census. And so we ask, well, which one was it? Was it the Lord that incited him to take the census or was it Satan that incited him to take the census? And the answer, of course, is yes, it's both. Somehow it's both. Neither text tells us how he was incited to take a census or what exactly caused him to be incited to take a census. And maybe it's a situation a lot like Job, where Satan is actively tempting and actively testing, and God is simply allowing this to happen. But one way or the other, David is incited to take a census. He's moved to take a census and to number the people. And what we have to understand is that this was a, a big deal. In fact, David sinned by taking this census. And the law of Moses in Deuteronomy, it makes it very clear that to take a census is not an inconsequential thing. In Exodus chapter 30, it says, if the, if the nation of Israel takes a census and numbers the people, then they have to make atonement. An offering has to be made for every single person. So we, we might stop and say, why was it such a big deal to take a census? Why was it a big deal to number the people of Israel? Well, the primary reason during that time that a nation would number their people, they would especially number their fighting men. They wanted to know how strong is our military. And there's really only one reason to want to know how strong is our military, and that's because you want to fight somebody. The only time that Israel was supposed to fight somebody 
is if God told them to go and fight somebody. And if God told them to go and fight somebody, it wouldn't matter how many people they had or how few people they had. Because if God told them to go and fight somebody, then it was God who would give them the victory. And that's why all throughout the Old Testament, this one fact is made abundantly clear that to trust in military strength amounts to idolatry. In fact, in Psalm 20 and verse 7, probably even David who penned these words, he says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They, those that trust in horses and chariots, they collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. To trust in our own strength, to trust in the strength of our military, is to not trust in God's strength and power. And here's a thought, even before we get to our text, that I want us to think about. You can either trust in your own power and strength, or you can trust in the Lord's, but you cannot trust in both. If you are trusting in your own strength, and that's exactly what David is doing. David wants to know how strong is our military? How strong are we? How powerful are we? Who can we fight? Who can we take on? When you trust in your own power and strength, you're not trusting in the Lord. To trust in the Lord is to recognize your own weakness. You can only trust in the Lord when you acknowledge and you embrace your own weakness. Think about the Beatitudes. Jesus would say things like, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Why are these people blessed? Because it's these people who recognize their own weakness and they rely on the Lord's strength. So you can either trust in your own power and strength or you can trust in the Lord's power and strength, but you cannot do both. So David wants to number the people of Israel. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 3. Joab said to the king, may the Lord, remember Joab is is David's commanding officer, Joab said to the king, may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are while the eyes of my Lord the king still see it. But why does my Lord the king delight in this thing? In other words, may God multiply the people of Israel and you live to see God multiply them a hundred times over. But why, why David do you insist on doing this thing. But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. So the census was taken and Joab and the commanders of the army, they go out and they number the fighting men of Israel and figure out just how strong Israel is, just how strong their military is. But instead of David feeling strong, David realizes his sin. He realizes that he's focused on all of the wrong things and trusting in all of the wrong things, and he realizes that he's fallen short. Look at 2 Samuel 24 and verse 10. It says, But David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, 
David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So David realizes his sin and he, he says how very sorry that he is. And Gad, who is like a prophet, a seer, comes to David and says, Okay, you're going to have to deal with the consequences and you have three choices, three possibilities of what the consequences are going to be. And God allows David to choose his own punishment, to choose the consequences for his sin. So he says in verse 13, so Gad came to David and told him and said to him, shall three years of famine come to you in your land? Or will you flee three months from your foes while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days pestilence? It's a disease or a plague that would go in your land. Now, consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. So David's given three choices. One, a famine that's, that would last three years. Or three months of fleeing from his enemies. Three months of war in which his enemies would prevail. Or three days where pestilence or a plague a disease would sweep throughout Israel. And it's interesting how he answers. Verse 14, Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the, hands, into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time, and there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba 70,000 men. Now, David knew that the plague, the disease, the pestilence that he and Israel was dealing with was because of his sin. It was because of a specific sin. Now, even though we are living through a pestilence, we are living through a plague, we are living through a pandemic, there's no reason for us to think that it's because of anyone's specific sin. But it is the result of indirect sin. It is indirectly the result of sin. All of the problems and diseases and death and pain that we deal with in our life are the result of the fact that we live in a fallen world. When people, when human beings, when mankind chose to sin and rebel against God, we chose to forfeit living in the garden, and now we live in a world of plague. Now we live in a world where sin and death are a constant reality, and we have these moments in our lives, these moments in time where they become ever more realized and we become even more aware of the fact that we live in a world of sin and death and brokenness and no it's not any one person's fault it's not God punishing us it is the fact that we live in a broken and fallen and death-ridden world but here's one truth that David points out that still continues to remain true God's mercy is great. David says, given the choice between war and having to deal with people who might hurt us and kill us and be a plague against us, given the choice between dealing with enemies and dealing with God, I choose God. Given the choice between a disease and a war, I choose the disease. 
Because if I have to fall into the hands of man or fall into the hands of God, I'd rather fall into the hands of God. Why? Because God is merciful. And we might look at the situation and we say 70,000 people died in Israel. But that's nothing compared to what people do. And it's really nothing compared to what people do to each other, not just in that time period, but throughout history. I was thinking about the number of people that died in World War I. 40 million people died in World War I. In World War II, 75 million people died. The things we do to each other are more horrendous than anything a disease does to us. More horrendous than what a plague does to us. More horrendous than what pestilence does to us. So given the choice between war and pestilence, pestilence is a pretty good choice. Given the choice between dealing with or falling in the hands of men or falling in the hands of God, it's a good choice to fall into the hands of God. Why? Because God is merciful. And even though we still continue to live in a world where there is sin and death and disease and brokenness and horrendous things that happen in our world, we can still say God is still so incredibly merciful to us. There is still so much good. There is still so much life. God still holds back death. God still holds back disease. God still doesn't ravish us as maybe indeed humanity deserves, God holds back and refrains from punishment because God loves us and God is merciful. Look at verse 16. When the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was working destruction among the people, it is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. It is enough. Exactly what David knew God would do, that God refrained and that God had mercy. And David spoke to the Lord when he saw that the angel who was striking the people and said, behold, I've sinned and I've done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and against my father's house. So I want you to notice a couple things that happen in this story. One, the, the disease, the pestilence, the plague that they're dealing with was David's fault. It was David's sin. As their leader, as their king, he, he caused them to suffer and he caused them to be in pain and he caused them to die, which... As you continue throughout this story, First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, as we've been talking about for the last few weeks, this would continue to be the way the kings of Israel and Judah would behave. And because of their sin, the people would suffer. Just as our father, Adam, brought sin into the world and caused pain and suffering for all of us because of the fall, David, the leader, the king, the head, the shepherd of Israel brought sin and death and pain to Israel. And so on the one hand, it was his fault. 
And that would continue to be the story for the kings that would continue to bring sin and death and suffering into the people of Israel. But on the other hand, I want you to look at the the beautiful foreshadowing of the gospel that you see here. Do do you see what David does? That, That David, he says, why should these sheep suffer? And he offers himself. And he says, let the punishment fall on me. Let me take the punishment on behalf of the people. Now again, David was the one at fault here. But on the other hand, he becomes and offers himself as the one who would atone for, take away the sin of, or step in between and take the punishment on behalf of the people so that the sheep could live, the shepherd would take their place. And so David becomes this picture of the king who would come who would not bring sin and death and suffering and pain into the world, but would be the one that would say, why should these sheep suffer? Let the punishment fall on me. And Gad came that day, verse 18, and Gad came that day to David and said to him, go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word as the Lord commanded, and when Arona looked down, he saw the king and his servants coming on toward him, and Arona went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Arona said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. So again, David is going up and he's going to buy this piece of land and he's going to build an offer and he's going to make us build an altar and make an offering and a sacrifice so that the plague may be averted. Verse 22, but Arona said to David, let my Lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Arona gives to the king. And Arona said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. And so this man that David is going to buy the land from, the place where he's going to build the altar, the man who owns it says, no, 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 I don't want you to buy it from me. You're the king. It's yours. I'll give it to you. And so he offers to give David the, the land and the offerings, the, the bulls, whatever he needs for the sacrifice, he's willing to give it to David for free. Verse 24, but the king said to Arona, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not, listen to these words, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen, or bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord responded to the plea of the land and the plague was averted from Israel. See, the, the way the story goes is that the king must pay the price to lift the curse. That David wasn't willing for someone else to pay the price to lift the curse. David himself had to be the one to pay the price to lift the curse. And our king has not just offered something that cost him something, but offered something that cost him everything. Our king has offered himself to lift the curse and give us life. David gives us this picture of one who says, I'm not going to give an offering that doesn't cost me something. And Jesus comes, the descendant of David comes, 
and says, I'm going to offer to the Lord something that costs me everything. And by offering his life on the cross, Jesus has lifted the curse, the curse of sin and death, the plague that has plagued our world since the fall, the plague that is responsible for the coronavirus and influenza and the common cold and the pains and the heartaches and the death and the grief and the suffering and the pain that we all have to endure, that plague, the plague that's bigger than just the coronavirus, the plague that is responsible for all death and all sin and all brokenness and all hurt and all grief and all suffering, our king came. Our perfect and innocent king, not the one who was responsible for the plague, but the one who was perfect, came and said, not only I will not offer a sacrifice that costs me nothing, but said, I will offer a sacrifice that costs me everything. And our king offered himself to lift the curse and give his sheep life. And so we might ask, though, if, if we're thinking about it and we're saying, but if, if Jesus came and if Jesus offered himself and by him dying and shedding his blood, he becomes an atoning sacrifice for us. And by being raised from the dead, it is confirmation that the curse has been lifted and now there can be life where there was death. If that's true, then why hasn't the curse been lifted? Why do we still have plagues and pestilence and suffering and death? Why do we still have grief? Well, first, those of us that trust in his strength, those of us who trust in his sacrifice, for us, the curse has been lifted. Our fear of death has been taken away, hasn't it? And yes, we have to accept those things by faith. But we believe, we believe that death has no hold on us. We believe that even though we die, yet shall we live. We believe that we don't have to fear the one who can kill the body. We believe that we have nothing to fear. We believe that we can live in victory. We believe that no matter what happens, no matter what happens in our country, no matter what happens in our world, no matter what happens with the economy, no matter what happens with our health, we win. Because we believe that our king offering himself to release us and remove and lift and avert the curse has given us victory. But for those who still trust in their own strength, the curse remains. For those who still number their own strength, for those who still idolize the things of this world, the curse remains. And they remain under the fear of death. And so the Lord delays his return in order that those who remain under the curse might accept his offering that's been made on their behalf. And so this morning, I want to I encourage us to think about this. If you trust in his sacrifice, if you trust in the sacrifice of Jesus, if you believe that his death has lifted the curse, 
If you believe that for us, for those that have been baptized into Jesus, who are followers of Jesus, the curse has been lifted and we no longer have to fear and we can know that we are victorious. If you trust in his sacrifice, then three things I want to encourage you this morning. Number one, then don't trust in your own strength. That's what got us in this situation in the first place. And when I say situation, I don't just mean coronavirus. I don't just mean our current situation. I mean all of our brokenness. I mean all of our grief. I mean all of our sorrow, all the way back to the garden. It was thinking, I don't have to do things God's way. I want the knowledge of good and evil. I want to call the shots. I want to be the one to say, no, this is good and that's bad. No, I should do this and I don't want to do that. I want to be my own boss. I want to be like God. That relying on our strength is what got us in this situation in the first place. And we continue, don't we? We continue to make a mess out of our lives by trusting in our own strength, by fighting our own battles. And so if we really truly believe that our king has offered himself to lift the curse and give us life, then don't trust in your own strength. It's not your money or your knowledge or your experience or your wisdom or your strength that's gonna get you out of this problem or any other problem. It is the Lord and his strength, which is why we say number two, don't fear. Don't fear. Don't fear. We don't have to be afraid. And, and no, washing your hands and staying inside doesn't mean that you're afraid. Those are good, wise things to do, living in the world in which we live. But we don't have to be afraid we don't have to live in fear of what's the economy going to do or what if this happens or what if that happens? What if I get sick? What if somebody I love gets sick? Because we truly believe that no matter what happens, we win. No matter what happens, we cannot lose because our king has come and he has offered the sacrifice that has lifted the curse and so really the coronavirus or influenza or a broken economy or whatever may come has no real power, has no real strength. Our God has the strength. Our God has the power. Our king died to lift the curse. So we don't have to be afraid. And then finally, number three, love those who are still under the curse. Not everybody has the, the joy we have. Not everyone has the hope we have. For so many people in the world, death is death. Death is permanent. They don't have the hope. They don't have the joy of resurrection. For them, the curse has not yet been lifted. So do what you can to ease their pain, to comfort them, to encourage them, to show them compassion, to help extend their life as well as we help extend each other's life. Have mercy on them. But most of all, share with them about Jesus. Tell them about the king who came to lift the curse and the better world that is prepared for us because our king has died offering himself as a sacrifice to lift the curse 
share with them what our king has done for them. But let's remember, as we leave here today, that we don't have to, I say leave here today, or stay wherever you are today. Let's remember that our king has offered himself to lift the curse and give us life. And if we trust in his sacrifice, we don't trust in our own strength. We don't fear. And we love our neighbor. We have compassion on those who are still under the curse. We're going to sing another song in just a moment. And then after that, if you'll stick around, we've got some announcements and some updates that we want to give you. But now, let's go to God in prayer. Most Holy Father, we are so incredibly thankful. Father, we are thankful for our King who has come and who has given himself, has given everything, has offered himself as a sacrifice to lift the curse so that disease and death and failed economies and broken worlds and grief and suffering have no real claim on us, have no real power over us. And so, Father, give us the strength to not be afraid. Give us the strength to trust in you. Help us, Father, to share this good news with our neighbors, to love them, to have mercy on them, to show them compassion, to help ease their pain and suffering, and to tell them just how much you love them. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.